This is where we have that curious passage that we read about in Matthew 21 and here in Mark chapter 11 about Jesus cursing the fig tree. What is that about? It's a, it's a, it's a message where we get great commentary from in other places in the Scriptures. I love the book of James. Sometimes when I read James, I'm thinking, James, do you have a copy of Matthew or Mark? Not that he needed it at that time because he, he knew Christ and he, he knew his brother and his teachings. Um, but was he looking at them and studying them and, and hearing them and, of course, discussing them in, in assembly and then writing the book of James in reflection upon it? Because you see a lot of Christ's teachings echoed in the text of James. And so when I think about that, I was thinking about that as I was reading through Mark chapter 11. Maybe you'll see that as well. You ever plant anything in your garden and it grew up and produced nothing? You ever done that? I have. Last year, we planted a um, tomato plant that didn't really grow at all. And it didn't produce anything. And then two things of green beans. And the green beans grew up big and strong. Not one bean. Nothing on it. No fruit. I did want to curse it. So <laughs> it's like, well, we've been watering you. What are you doing here? So, you know, I think about that, and I think about this account that we're about to read here. I think about the fruitlessness there. And so we want to reflect upon this as Christians. You know, this is one of those messages of Christ that after you might hear it this morning, you might think, and you might have to go along later and remind yourself, what was the sermon on this morning? Or what was it on Sunday? But the image of the fig tree and what happens here will not leave you. And the more that we understand it, the more it has a striking influence on the rest of our life. And if you're reading, and if you haven't gotten through your reading yet, and you get into Mark 11, whether today or tomorrow or before Wednesday, and you read this account again, I think it will cause a little bit more reflection in you. And so we're going to do that this morning. We're going to allow the text here from Christ and His words to cause us to have some reflection. I'm going to read it again, as Richard's already read it for us, but let's go to Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 14. Uh, a short exposition here, but this is not all of it. Because the disciples in Christ come by that fig tree again. But let's read the text. It says here, On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. That's a strange thing, right? It was that time of the year that you would expect that the fig tree would start to have its leaves. In fact, in, in Mark chapter 13, Jesus says that. He says, you know the summer's coming. The warm weather's coming when the fig trees, when, when their leaves sprout, when they come forth. And so Jesus sees this here, and he's hungry, and he goes and looks at the fig tree. But as it's noted there, you wouldn't expect someone on the way, this, this, whatever this fig tree was on, right, on, away on, on the side of the road that was for anybody's use, you wouldn't expect it at the time. So what's Jesus doing here? Why is he saying this at this time? And I think if you keep reading in the text, you'll see some of it. In fact, when you read Mark 11 through 16, you begin to get what Christ is describing him here. The idea of this fig tree not producing fruit, but it appears healthy and with leaves. It appears that it could even out of season, but it doesn't. Here's a few observations I take from Mark 11. 
I see that a fig tree, again, it bears leaves appearing to have fruit before its season. Or that it could possibly have fruit. Or that it is healthy. And I, this is a great example that Christ is able to use to illustrate how many people look. We look healthy. We look strong. We look like we are full of leaves. Where is the fruit? Jesus declared again that, that no one would eat its fruit. Now, in my ESV, it says it won't, no one will eat of it again. But literally in Greek, it says in this age. Which was a striking thing to me because when I read that kind of words, it's like this is something that Jesus would say in regards to a prophecy or a prediction or in regards to a person. He's talking to this tree as though it represents a person or people. Why? There's a parable there. There's a message there behind it in this. So no one's going to eat of it of this age. Is he actually, I mean, he is talking to the tree, but there's a double meaning there, is there not? And we're going to think about it a little bit further. He spoke to the tree again, like it represented some people. And then Jesus was again exposing the fruitlessness of this age. And again, if your translation like mine says again, the Greek word says uh, en eonas, which means in this age. In fact, it's uh, en ton eonon, which means in the age or in this age. No one's going to eat of you again. But the tree, again, that's another thing. Here, it's not seasoned. It has all these leaves. It looks healthy. What would you expect of that tree? Well, you might expect it to continue to live and then come June or July that it be put out its fruit. The fig tree, again, appears healthy. It appears that it should be, could bear fruit, will bear fruit, but at the time it does not. And Christ uses it to make a good message here. Something that we may think about. You know, I was thinking about this message this week, and um, Rachel doesn't like me mentioning her, but I'm going to do it anyways. And Dale probably doesn't like it either. But Dale brought me some figs from her fig tree. And then she, we were talking and she said, I always thought and wondered, you know, a little bit more about what Jesus was saying about the fig tree. I don't know if it was this occasion, Dale, or the parable of the fig tree, because there are other things in the scriptures about the fig tree. I think it was the cursing of the fig tree that we were talking about. So she had mentioned it, and then I told Rachel, I said, these are the five lessons I could preach out of Mark 11 through 16, and they all look great. Do you have a, a thought there? And she said, automatically, I think the fig tree. I want to know more about that. So I had two witnesses. And following scripture, I got two or more witnesses. I should go with my witnesses. And so my witnesses were, you need to preach on the subject of the fig tree. And it was very beneficial to think about that. And so I appreciate that and I appreciate the input that would help me to, to look at this subject even deeper. But what will Jesus say? What will he say about those who appear healthy and, and fruitful but are not? What is he going to say about us? Do we look like we're healthy Christians that were mature, that were full of leaves? Do we as a people look that way? I might even take this, because a lot of this also ties in with their political leadership and their religious leadership at the, at the time. And what Christ is about to do here, it seems to be a reflection on Israel. The people of Israel, their leadership, they appear like they are fruitful. We can apply that to politics today. Pick a political party. They want to appear healthy. They want to appear right. But what fruit are they producing? 
How are they going about what they say they believe in? And I would encourage you, don't so much be in an alliance with certain people. I've done that. I've been in politics. I've done the protesting. I've done all that kind of thing. I've learned a lot of lessons from it. There's some good that came from it. I could share with you another time. But as I think about this, I want to make sure that I am first aligned with Christ and with his church, and then I stand for the truth. Amen. That's where I want to stand. I can, I can do far more by what the scriptures teach me to do. I can be more effective than anything else. I don't have to get into whatever new thing they're putting out there for us to be outraged about or whatever it might be. I can love Christ and obey him and do good and show love to all people without being pulled down by that. So what's the next part? What's tied into this, this tree that appears to be healthy and has no fruit? Well, what is Jesus doing? Well, he's going from Bethany into Jerusalem, and it's a, a few weeks before Passover, and Christ is going to die at Passover. So this is at the end of his life, at the end of his ministry, and he goes into the temple, and this is the second time that I read in Scripture, because in John 2, he cleanses the temple at the beginning of his ministry, and then at the end of his ministry, we read that he comes in and he cleanses the temple. Well, why is it that we have this account here in Mark? What is, is Mark trying to say something? Is God saying something, the, the Holy Spirit? Because we've got... Mark eleven, twelve through 14 of Jesus cursing the fig tree. Then you've got this section of Jesus going into the temple and cleansing it, cleansing it out. And then right after that, it says the next morning as they're traveling, they again see the fig tree. I don't know if they used a different road and traveling out or what happened in that process. Um, but they see the tree again coming back into Jerusalem. I don't think that's a coincidence that Jesus has this teaching on the fig tree because we've only gotten the first half of it. And then there's the second half, and in the middle of it is the cleansing of the temple. As Jesus cleanses the temple and he runs out the money changers who were there to exchange the denarius with, with Caesar's image on it for the shekel that's needed for the temple. And people were coming for, for far away and they didn't bring their animals with them, so they were there and they were, they were paying a little bit extra because they've already got these pre-approved um, animals that have been certified by the high priest there that these are the best, these are clean, these are blameless, you can spend your money here. So they were, they were being charged extra, even 10 to 20% to exchange their money, then buy these animals or, or doves or sheep. And Jesus is appalled by it because it has turned, they turned the temple into a business. A lot of people try to do that with the church today. But look at this, and what stands out is Mark 11 and verse 17, where Jesus quotes from Isaiah 56 and verse 7, and he says, and he was teaching them. Why was he cleansing the temple? He was teaching them, and people were astonished, it says, by what he did, because he drove out the money changers, and he drove out the animals, and he had made that whip, and he was charging them toward the entrance. And nobody does anything here. Now, they're going to call him into kind of a debate and challenge Jesus' authority later in the Gospel of Mark. But this is what we read again. It is not, he says, and he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written? I love that phrase. If you don't know where specific passages, just say it is written. Jesus did it. It is written. Where is it written? It's written. So anyways, and then quote from it. And, and he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. 
And that's an amazing thing here because why? There's a little boundary around for all the Gentiles. You can't come into this area and yet Jesus is saying, you've made this place a place of money. You're exploiting it. You're excluding the nations and keeping them back from it. And he says what the Scripture says, my house shall be called, will be called a house for all nations. Oh, Jesus, there's a lot to mean there. That the worship of God and God is for every nation, for every blessing. By nation, it's the Greek word ethno. It means people of every ethnicity and every race. Everybody has a place in God. He says, but you've made it a den of robbers. You've made it a matter of thievery and stealing. So I'm thinking about that in the context of the fig tree. I'm thinking about the striking message of Jesus cursing the fig tree. I'm also thinking about, well, where else in the text? Are there other passages in the Bible where Jesus or, or the God talks to the prophets about fig trees? And there are. There's a number of them. In fact, in Hosea 9 and verse 10, God says, you were like a ripened fig tree and you were the first fruits. He's saying this about Israel. And I took you. But then later... And Joel, God says to the prophet Joel, you are like a splintered fig tree. You're broken. You're not producing. In fact, Joel repeats the image of the fig tree. Usually I think about the book of Joel, I think about locusts. He also talks about the vines, the vineyard, and he talks about fig trees. He says you're like splintered fig tree because God's judgment upon Israel for their rebellion and for Israel's sins, Joel describes, he says, you've, you've got an armed force coming in, your abundance of food that you've enjoyed, the luxuries that you once had, you who like to drink wine, it's not going to be there for you anymore. You, the priest, you, you don't call holy convocation, you don't fast, you should, but your worship has been hindered. Some of these things you might be able to relate to. He says, where is the fruit? Where is it? So Mark's account of Jesus again cleansing the temple ties in with the passing away of the fig tree. I just moved really quick there, but stay with me. Here's some observations from Mark 11. So I gave you, I kind of tricked you. I got one exposition, but I got another one for you. So this one won't be on the screen. Open your Bible again to Mark 11, and let's read the rest of the story after Jesus has cleansed the temple, after we have a little bit more background knowledge of the reference to fig tree, to the fig tree. So Mark 11, verse 20 and following. It says, They passed by in the morning, and they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. Can you imagine that? A fruit tree alive and full of, tree, full of leaves, and the next day it's withered. It's hanging down. Its leaves have turned colors. It's rotten down to the roots. Looks like you could push it over. They're kind of a rotten tree. In a day. In that much time. Well, what does that mean? Again, Jesus reflecting upon Israel and their people, their religious leaders, their, their political figures. What's happening? Well, it's going to die. And throughout Jesus' warning, in fact, Mark 13, you get more details about this. He's warning, he says, this is going to come to an end. Your fruitlessness is going to lead well, it's going to result in your death. So it'll wither away to its roots. Just that picture and that thought there is striking. Again, this is one of those messages where you might think, what was the message about or so forth? But later, when you think about it and you read it again, it's, it's striking. 
and it causes us to reflect on ourselves. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be that kind of tree that looks healthy, that has the leaves and produces nothing. Withered down to its roots. Look at verse 21. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them. And listen to the first thing Jesus says. Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Have faith in God. Why? Why would you start with that? You're looking at the tree that's been cursed, and the first thing Jesus says is, have faith in God. What's he saying again is, who are we trusting in? I shouldn't be trusting a lot of times in these worldly powers around me, the, the, the religious and political figures so much as I'm leaning and put my trust in God through everything. My faith is in Him. Secondly, I think the other part in here is that Christ wants them to have the kind of faith that's going to do great things. Where I'm going to pray to God, where I believe that if a mountain will move, it will move. Let's keep reading. He says, Truly I say to you, whoever says this mountain be taken up and thrown in the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Great things can happen because of what we believe. Now, again, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. But do we believe that, that um, we believe these great things are happening? Now, now, I want you to think about this as well, that the idea of making a mountain move was a figure of speech in that time about rabbinical and Jewish teachers, that if they were effective and they were influential, their teaching could make mountains move. The idea is that nations, people, will move and change. And so he's telling them, have faith in God. I want you to speak in a way that makes mountains move. Don't doubt it. Look at verse 24. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe, and you shall receive it, and it will be yours. That implies that it's according to God's will. And verse 25, and whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against another, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you. There's a lot there. There's a lot there in regards to to fruit. If my faith is in God and the Creator, I should be producing fruit. I shouldn't just appear. I shouldn't appear as though I'm healthy and yet be a hypocrite. The tree was full of leaves, appeared fruitful, withered to its roots. Jesus responds to Peter, noticing the tree. He says, have faith in God. We looked at that. Why to say that? Why did Christ say that? God's great power stands with those, again, who have faith and speak his word. And the power of God through prayer aligns with God's power to forgive. I'm going to ask God. I'm going to pray to him. I'm going to trust in him. I want you to think about that right now. What do you pray for right now? What do you pray for the nation, for the country, for the community? What do you pray about in regards to... uh, COVID-19. What do you pray about in this country and the things that it's going through? Do you believe it? Who is your faith in? There's a lot for us to think on our own time in regards to that. I encourage you this morning, have faith in God, not in the leaders of the nation who do not produce fruit and do not rely on the power of God. Now, if they do, and the Bible tells us, pray for our leaders. 
In fact, the scriptures say pray for them in 1 Timothy chapter 2 so that they, because it says there, pray for your leaders because God wants all people to be saved. Even politicians can become Christian. Even they can trust in God and believe. So pray for them. Before we finish, to add to the image of the fruit tree, I thought Luke chapter 13 was very fitting, Jesus' parable here. Luke 13, and I do have another passage from James as well, but Luke 13 says, A man had a fig tree, this is Jesus' parable, had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree. Now usually fig trees um, mature and produce fruit around three to four years. He says, now I've come seeking fruit in this fruit tree. I find none. Cut it down. Why should it, be, why, why should it use up the ground? Notice this, that he wants judgment on this. Remove this tree. It's not producing. And he answered him, the vine dresser, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig up around it and put manure on it, and then it should bear fruit next year. Well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Parable, again, is the same message that we need to be producing fruit or God's judgment will come on, the, on us. The context of that passage in Luke 13, Jesus tells that parable right after they came to him and said, what about these men whose blood was mixed with their, sacri- their, their sacrifices and there in, um, by Pontius Pilate? What about them? Were they greater sinners? Or what about those which the Tower of Siloam fell on them? You know, these current events, you hear about these tragedies. Are they greater sinners? Did they deserve this? And Jesus' response to those current events was, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And the message this morning as I look at the fig tree and I look at one that appears healthy but it's not, not producing fruit, is this, that you all likewise repent. It's a good thing to repent. It's not a bad word. I want to always be repenting, always changing my mind, always changing and turning against sin. That's what it means to be a Christian. So Jesus telling us to repent again, he tells us a little bit about it. What do you want to do? I want to cultivate the ground. I want to produce fruit. I want to make sure that myself, I'm doing right. So am I? Am I producing fruit? Am I loving my neighbor? Am I doing good? What am I spending my time doing? I'm always on the internet, watching TV, maybe even reading books for recreation, working out in the yard, but I'm spending, what am I doing that is, that's producing fruit out of my faith for God? Think about that. There's a lot of good that can be done in those things, depending on what you're watching and what you're doing. But I see this in the scriptures. God is patient, wanting all to repent, wanting none to, be, to perish. And I encourage you this morning, make sure that you're a tree that produces fruit. And as I think about this, I think about the day of judgment. When Christ comes and he examines me and he says, well, you looked healthy and you had the leaves. You, you gave the way that you spoke and acted like you were a Christian but I find no fruit on you. What's he going to do? Be cut down. Here's the last passage I want to share with you. This is why I mentioned at the very beginning that James, I just think 
He had to have been reflecting on the words of Christ throughout and the things and the comments he said. Of course, the Holy Spirit guiding him and writing it. But in James 2, 14 through 17, you know this passage. This is, might be one of the most over-preached chapters in the whole Bible among the churches of Christ. You, you should know it. So listen to what James says here in James 2, 14 to 17. He says, What good is it, brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Well, he doesn't have a living faith. He has a dead faith, right? That's what we read here. He says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace and be warmed and filled. You ever done that before? See someone in need? So God bless you. I'll pray for you. But you don't do anything to help them? And so he says here, without giving them the things that are needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. That's what I picture with the, the fig tree this morning. A dead faith, a fruitless faith, if we're not doing good. Jesus offers you a living faith. That when you believe in him, it produces fruit. Good works. I want to be that tree. Now around this building, we still have, even on our mats out there, the image even on our website is the tree. I think it's an oak tree. We could easily turn that to a fig tree. You think about that. Are you producing fruit? Before I offer the invitation, I didn't pray at the beginning. I hope we'll pray right now. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we could study your word this morning and look at these scriptures and, and reflect on Jesus, on his words, and what he said to this fruit tree. Father, we ask that you bless us, that our faith is active and living, and that we produce fruit that gives glory to you. Give us wisdom, Father. Open our eyes to see the good works and the needs and the things that are around us that we can be doing. Father, help us to be a light in this community. Help us to, re to rely on you and put all of our faith and trust in you and not in man. And Father, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning, if you haven't put on Christ in baptism, you need to do that. You need to die with Christ, be buried in the waters of baptism, rise up in the newness of life. You need prayers and encouragement? We want to pray with you. We encourage you to come right now. Let's sing together.